The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Atlantic Files, the number one podcast from the number one division in the NBA, brought to you by the Underdog Sports Podcast Network, joined by your host, myself, Alex Fishbein. So, first things first, I just want to let everybody know we are everywhere you get your podcasts. Make sure you subscribe, make sure you leave a rating, uh, leave a review as well. They help a lot just to get the podcast out there, get it to new ears and get it to people so we can keep building on this uh, that we got going here. And the other thing is we are also on YouTube. So search up The Atlantic Files on YouTube. We are on there as well. We just uh, created a fresh new channel, so make sure you check that out. And as always... Make sure you share this episode with just at least one friend. That's all we ask. Just one friend. Get that going. Get like a whisper down the lane going with these new episodes. So without further ado, let's jump into the episode. So as of right now that we are recording, the Brooklyn Nets are now in a 3-3 series with Milwaukee. And the Sixers are now in a 2-3 series heading to Atlanta to play tonight. So a little bit of a difference between the two teams in terms of the situation that they're in because at least Brooklyn gets to go back home for their last game. Philly has to take a game on the road as well as finish it back at home now. Um, So, oh, and actually the other thing is... We have the Celtics, who, with Brad Stevens in the front office, made his first trade. Um, We will be talking about that as well and kind of what this trade means for Boston. So let's jump into the Brooklyn Nets real quick. So last night they lost to the Bucks. It was, I believe it was 104 to 89. Um, Obviously, they weren't really scoring all that much in that game. Uh, It was kind of just waiting for Kevin Durant to kind of pop off again. I mean, don't get me wrong, he still had some great stats, but in his, let's see, I'm bringing it up right now, I think it was 32 points. Yes, in his 32 points, he did take 30 shots just to get there. So, Um, Even though he made 50% of his shots, that's still not very efficient in the fact that 30 shots to get 32 points. Uh, That's almost just one point a shot, so not great. But then after his 30 field goal attempts, the next highest people were actually Jeff Green, Joe Harris, and James Harden, who all attempted nine shots each. So nobody even attempted double-digit field goal attempts other than Kevin Durant. He did end with 32 points, 11 rebounds, 3 assists, but also had 7 turnovers. Uh, The only other two in double digits were actually Blake Griffin with 12 and James Harden with 16. 
Um, there was a few players in the positives coming off the bench, but I think that was more towards like the end of the game or the end of the first half, I believe. Um, they were positive in this game, but all five starters were negative in their plus minus with Harris and Durant being the lowest at minus 25. Um, now obviously plus plus minus stats are a little skewed. I don't, they like, they're not, they don't really tell the whole story. It just means those guys were out there on the floor on the times that the Bucks were either going off or, you know, Brooklyn went cold, whatever it may be. So I don't, I, I look at those a little bit, but not to tell the entire story of the game. Um, but really I kind of expected this game to go this way. I didn't really think that Kevin Durant was going to be able to reproduce what he did the game before, especially with the fact that he played all 48 minutes in that game. He did play 40 minutes again, and James Harden even played 40 minutes in this. But I think that, like, especially with James Harden playing more minutes, he... You know, with the bum hamstring, it's just not going to be very ideal for him. Um, so it's, it's going to be pretty rough when he, you know, tries to really put 40 minutes worth of effort on, on that hamstring. And then we have Kevin Durant, who also put 40 minutes up and he just kind of, there was at times, I think that he looked a little gassed, but for the most part, I don't think he, I mean, he, he actually, he didn't really show the fatigue as much as one would have thought from, you know, going a game 48 minutes to another game for 40 minutes. But, um, this team just, I think to beat a team like Milwaukee at Milwaukee, um, I think they just, they, they need all big three. Um, I know they have done it before, but I'm just saying it's kind of it, it's it's especially rough when you're expecting a lot more out of these two guys with one of them even being hurt. So really, even though Kevin Durant is getting that 40 minutes or 48 minutes, it's almost like he's playing like even more like 50 plus minutes because in those minutes, he's getting the bulk of the touches, the bulk of the looks, most of the shots, most of the, you know, team's uh, confidence and importance is all going to Kevin Durant because Harden's not 100%, Kyrie's not out there. Um, you can't really put as much... You can't really put as much, like, confidence and everything into Jeff Green or Blake Griffin or Joe Harris... Um, I mean, Jeff Green did have himself a great game in that that last game uh, five, but you can't expect that every single night. That's the only thing. Um, but I looked real quick since they're going back home. I wanted to look at Brooklyn's splits. They are a better team at home. They are twenty eight and eight at home, uh, and they are twenty and sixteen on the road this year. So. They are a better home team, which, I mean, usually goes without saying that usually every team is better at home than they are away. But um, they actually score a little bit less at home, which I thought was interesting. They score 119 points a game on the road, but 117 at home. But it the big difference comes from their defense, actually. At home, they only give up 111 a game, but on the road, they give up 116. So I think that, you know, that home crowd really fuels the defense. It fuels the role players who are playing most of the defense as well. And 
I think that's going to be a major, major factor in if they win this game or not. So I think that is a big confidence boost, not only for the Nets themselves, but for their fans and everything, showing that, you know, okay, it's a game seven. We got a couple guys injured. A couple guys are trying to play it off and everything, but, you know, we're coming home where our defense is a little bit better. Brooklyn isn't like... You can get them off of their shot, off of their groove, whatever it may be, especially like Giannis and Middleton and them. Like They can have some pretty bad games. So it, it gives me, at least, a lot more confidence for Brooklyn to win this Game 7. Um, so moving on to the Sixers, they have to get it done on the road. They notoriously in years past have not been a great road team, especially against better teams. Um, this year they were 20 and 16 on the road and 29 and 7 at home. They have been one of the best home teams in the entire league over the last like three seasons, I think it is, including this one. And they've already dropped two of those home games in this series. So that in its in and of itself is alarming for the Sixers, and it's also a huge testament to Atlanta. Um, they came into New York in the first round, won a couple games. They come into Philly. They win a couple games in Philly against one of the best home teams in the league, and especially like the number one seed, the best record in the East and everything. So props to Atlanta on that, but especially with that last game from the Sixers, it was just a complete and utter collapse. And I know some people are saying, oh, like, why aren't we giving this credit for the comeback to Atlanta? I mean, that is still a huge credit to Atlanta. Lou Williams was actually the one that started the whole comeback. And I see more people saying like, oh, Trey Young is the one that brought the team back. Don't get me wrong. Trey had a phenomenal game, but Lou Williams is the one that really kept the whole team afloat and had them gaining that momentum, especially in the beginning of the fourth quarter. He scored, um, I think it was all but two two points in the fourth quarter alone and that was mainly in the beginning of it and that's what started you know chipping away chipping away chipping away then they got a stop then they got another stop Lou Will hits another one he hits another three and that's how it all builds and the Sixers you know the way Doc Rivers coached it bad the way Tobias Harris played bad the way that Ben Simmons played bad I mean it just all got worse for the Sixers other than Joel Embiid and Seth Curry. Like, those are the only two good things about the Sixers in that game. And now, so they head to Atlanta tonight, at the time we're recording this. They, on average, score eight points less a game on the road. So at home, they were scoring 117 points a game. On the road, they're scoring 109. And then defensive-wise... At home, the opponent scores 108. On the road, the score the opponent scores 107. So it gets very, very dicey when it comes to playing on the road for the Sixers. This, I mean, to be honest with you, I don't have a whole lot of confidence in this game for them because there's a lot written all over it that is just going against the Sixers. The entire mental collapse from the game before being a big glaring one not just that but they gave up an 18 point lead i believe it was in game four and then a 26 point lead in game five 
So now, I mean, if if they come out and come out to a big lead, you can't you can't turn the game off because you have no idea what kind of if they're gonna keep the lead, if they're gonna blow it again, if they're going to let the lead dwindle, then finally you know pick it back up. You have no idea what this team is going to do, and not only that, but it's it's uh, to me it's even harder to keep a lead like that away from home because you know now you have the lead and everything you might be slowing down a little bit the the arena's getting quiet whatever but then the moment that team starts scoring a little bit the moment that team starts getting you know a little a little bit of momentum that home crowd is right back in it and it's much much harder to gain your momentum back now than it was when you were at home because you had your home crowd all you had to do was hit a couple buckets and the home crowd is going crazy again it's really all you had to do but at the in the end of the ugh, at the end you didn't so <laughs> <laughs> that's just how it goes um but that is enough about the sixers and the nets right now so we will get to the first trade that is happening and it is also the first trade of brad stevens tenure as a uh, president of basketball operations in boston the celtics traded kemba walker the number 16 pick in this year's draft and a 2025 second round pick to Oklahoma City for Al Horford, Moses Brown, and a 2023 second rounder. This deal kind of confused me a little bit in the beginning for both sides, really. A, for Oklahoma City, I find that you probably could have traded Al Horford um, and gotten something a little bit better than Kemba Walker. And I only say that because the big thing with Kemba Walker is, yes, he is still a good player. He is a very good third option on your team. If he has to be your second option, you're probably not going to win much, especially at this stage. But the big thing with him is he's been injured a lot over the last couple seasons. His knee continues to be an issue. So if, say you're Oklahoma City and your thought process is, okay, you're going to hang on to him a little and probably trade him at the trade deadline, blah, 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 blah. You don't know if he's going to be healthy at that point in the game unless you barely play him at all. And then... If you don't really play him, other teams won't give you as much for him right in right away because then they have no idea, like, what is he even going to look like? Is he going to get hurt the moment he finally gets back on the floor? Because we haven't seen him. We don't know what he's doing. And then, so it, it kind of, to me, is just a big gamble um, just to get that 16th pick in this draft. Uh especially for a guy like Moses Brown, like Al Horford, okay, you got rid of him, like he wasn't in the future plans, whatever, you were paying him a lot of money. But Moses Brown, I think, is going to be at least a good backup big man, at least. And that could have been somebody that can grow with the rest of the team because he's only 21 or 22 years old. 
And he he was showing some tremendous flashes of talent. I mean, he had a 2020 game. I think it was against Boston, too. Um, The one thing about him, though, is obviously, like, his defense needed a little improvement and everything. But, again, you know, he was still pretty much getting his NBA legs. He was still improving and getting some more playing time to, to get better. And I think that he just... I think he could have been like their big man of the future. So I I will see like it's one of those trades where I have to see what happens with Moses Brown to really say who like won this trade. But I also have to see who Oklahoma City picks with this number 16 pick. Um, obviously, when you're 16th in the draft, it can go a very much both opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, it could be, you know, a, an all-star caliber player, like, cause we've seen Jokic get MVP drafted all the way down. I think it, I forget exactly where they said he was drafted. I think it was the second round. Um, and then you can also, I mean, again, we've seen number one picks like Anthony Bennett. <laughs> so there's a big risk with that pick, but I mean, Oklahoma City does now have like 38 picks over the next like 10 drafts or something like that, which is something insane. And it just begs the question to me. So when does Oklahoma City finally pull the trigger and go for it and stop rebuilding? Because it just feels like never ending rebuilding right now. And then from the Boston side, bringing Al Horford back is cool. Um, I mean, he kind of, he pretty much rested this season. He didn't really do all that much. So probably have like one more good season out of him. Um, and a guy who can mentor the big men too, like Robert Williams and now Moses Brown. Moses Brown to get for Boston, I think is great because they've always been lacking in the big man department other than Al Horford for the last however many years. Um, so the Moses Brown pickup, I think, is really good. And I think the Moses Brown pickup, especially for the 16th pick, is very good. Because, like I said, you you have no idea what you're getting down there at 16. So getting a guy you've seen these flashes from already in Moses Brown and a guy that has a pretty high ceiling and that, you know, you have seen, I mean, even destroy your own team. And I think from the viewpoint of Brad Stevens... As a coach, coaching against this guy, you know, you you can kind of see some things that somebody who might not, you know, know the X's and O's very well see. Um, so I do like that pickup. I like it a lot. I just think that I don't see a clear-cut winner in this trade. I would probably, like, give them both, like, a B-minus or a C-plus for this trade. Uh, probably give OKC a little bit lower of a grade than Boston, just because this really helps not only in the big man department for the future, but it helps in depth, especially with this coming season. It also helps you a lot if you go against Philly, because Al Horford has been known to stop Embiid, whether <laughs> whether Horford you know is All Star level or not. He's been an Embiid stopper, just like Mark Gasol. So that helps you within your own division. It checks off a lot of boxes for Boston. However, it's not like a, hey, this is getting us to the finals kind of trade. So, like, 
I'd probably give them like a B minus or a B, and I'd probably give Oklahoma City like a C plus slash B minus, somewhere in that area. So that's just how I see that right there. But that's all we got for you today, folks. <laughs> um, that's really all we got going on, especially because these series are still going on from the last time we recorded, and it's been back and forth for both of them. So um, we will catch you guys next week. We actually have something surprising next week. We have some people coming back. You're not only just going to see my face anymore. It's not only going to be me. <laughs> so we'll have some more people as hosts and hopefully they stay for a long time so hopefully you guys enjoy that catch us next week thank you guys for listening to another episode of the atlantic files the number one podcast on the number one division in the nba brought to you by the underdog sports podcast network go check them out tons of great podcasts thank you guys for listening and i'll catch you guys next week peace